almost 3 billion people and counting, are consuming video content on their devices. BeLive Media helps brands position their products and services to people at a time and manner that's convenient to them. If you would like to reach your customers and clients and stay ahead of your competitors, then connect with us. Are just joining us then welcome to the writer's corner live show i'm your host Bridgetti limbanda from cape town in south africa the stream is made possible by Streamyard, creative edge and be live media a special warm welcome to you our viewers if you're watching us on amazon live on twitter facebook youtube on linkedin do know that this is an audience-centric show, so the comments are being monitored. Do say hello. If you have a question or a comment, please feel free to interact with us. We will be watching. If you are brand new to the Writer's Corner live show, type new in the comments, and we would love to give you a shout-out. Our amazing guest today is Dr. Bruce Solheim. And we can't wait to have him onto the show. But before we introduce him, let me say a warm welcome to my friend and co-host. Um, she's Mary Elizabeth Jackson. She's a special needs and disabilities advocate and the award-winning author of the Poolicious children's book series. Mary's in Nashville, the USA, and I'm in Cape Town in South Africa. So let us know in the comments just where you are from. And with that, Mary, how are you? How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's not that cold today. So I'm in my happy space. Well, good. And it's not that hot today. So I'm in a happy space too, because it's we had some blazing hot days last week up over 100. So, you know, with the heat index, it was pretty crazy. But, uh, well, we are super excited to have uh, Bruce on this morning. And, um, you know, he's done a lot of things and he's got a lot of gifts and talents. And so we're just excited to have him on today and hear all about what he's up to and what he's using his creative abilities to do and what his favorite things to do are. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just want to give a huge big shout out to Tish who's joined us from Chicago. Mm, um, nice. The Windy City. Yes, absolutely. I just love it when people tell us where they're from because it's nice to know, you know, which corner of the globe people are are, are joining us from. Yeah, and she and needs so, to check out Anita Myers because our friend Anita Myers is in Chicago. She's a she's great in author. Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yes, she is. Yes, she absolutely is. So our amazing guest today is Dr. Bruce Solheim. He has published nine books and has written 10 plays. Wow. Five of which have been produced. And something that really struck a chord with me is that one of them called The Epiphany is a World War II play and was commissioned by the Kingdom of Norway. 
and funded for a full production run with the original American cast. Like in amazing, just wow, Mary. <laughs> yes, especially theater theater family. I think it's amazing. So, just wow. He is also the co-founder of Lockdown Theater, um, which he started during the pandemic. So I want to ask him about that. <laughs> I wondered know, if that all, title had to do that. We've all had to pivot and do all kinds of things that's out of our comfort zone and reinvent ourselves. And my heart has really gone out to creatives um, out there who suddenly could not go out into the world and perform and do stuff, normal stuff. You know, right. we had to literally reinvent. And then um, he has published a trilogy of paranormal books. And what we're talking about today are his latest comic books. They feature an alien hybrid character named Snark. And so the first two books are called Snark 1 and Snark 2. Um, Bruce is married to an amazing woman in her own right called Ginger, and he's got four children and two grandsons. So let's not waste any more time and give a hearty warm welcome to this amazing man. Hi, Bruce. That was Bruce. a nice uh, intro. I, I, I want to meet that guy. Who is that I guy? Know. Well, here, here's your Academy Award or your, <laughs> thank your you. Emmy. I'd like, like to thank everybody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know, isn't it fantastic? The intro is amazing. You feel like the it greatest is. person on the planet Earth right now. So. I, I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> My, go my goodness, you've done so many amazing things, Bruce. Yes. Um, you absolutely needed to have that kind of introduction. <laughs> I, I am in absolute awe of what you have been able to um, accomplish. accomplish. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. And I love the name Lockdown Theater. I wondered if if that's yeah. what I, I think it's a great <clears throat> theater name. So it's awesome. Yeah, ne necessity is the mother of invention. So <laughs> a absolutely. Otherwise we wouldn't have the will or the telephone, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh my goodness. Bruce, I know we're talking about your two comic books today, mm -hmm. but please tell me about the epiphany. I want to know a little bit more about it. I was just so excited when I, when I read that and I thought I need to ask you how that came about. The, uh, the, the lockdown theater or the, which part? The epiphany. The, the, the oh, epiphany. the epiphany. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, that's a historical play based on my family history. My mom and dad uh, lived under Nazi occupation in, in World War II. Uh, and uh, they had a actual Nazi colonel that moved into their living room. And uh, my dad was taken to a labor camp during the war. So it was my mother and uh, my sister and my uh, eldest brother who died during the war that lived in the house with my grandparents and aunt and uncle. Uh, so it was a very tough time for them. And I was inspired by that story to write the epiphany. And uh, I fictionalized, I took the actual story and then fictionalized some of it. And, but the, the most of it is, is true. You know, there is a, the, the villain is the Nazi colonel that lives in the house. And um, we were lucky enough to have a great production run here at Citrus College in, in Los Angeles County. 
And then uh, the uh, the Norwegian government decided they wanted to send us there and and actually perform for them in northern Norway on the island in the village where the action of the play actually takes place. So that's how remarkable that was and and that it was funded wow. by the government, also by local history societies and and the people and the people of, of the island of Andea, where my parents are from are so generous. They, they opened their homes to all of the actors. We had 15 young actors, uh, who, uh, many of whom had never left California, much less, uh, gone out of the country. I mean, these are working class people here that they go to my community college and, uh, they were sent to Norway, uh, all of us as, as a group. And, uh, yeah, we were on Norwegian national television. It was a big deal for, for all these. I still can't believe that it actually it's surreal. It's absolutely surreal. And especially like, you know, you were writing this from a place in your heart and a place of history and, and leaving a legacy and and a lot of emotion into it. So you have a lot vested in invested in this whole thing or you you did yeah. and you still do. And then for somebody to come in and and see that and then carry it, I, I there's I imagine there's no feeling in the world like it. Yeah, my <clears throat> my favorite two favorite parts of our production in Norway was uh, one performance, we had elderly, uh, some elderly people who were there alive during the occupation and to watch their faces as they saw this story come out. And then the children, they brought in children uh, during school time. They brought them in to watch the play to part of their history and to see the shock and amazement of how this peaceful, wonderful country that they live in in, Nor in Norway at one time wasn't so peaceful and wonderful. And to remind them that, uh, you know, that's a thing you have to, a precious thing you have to hang on to. So that was, mm -hmm. uh, and then they, the children also sang uh, some songs for the actors and myself and Ginger was with me. And uh, that was wonderful too, in appreciation. That was their way to show their appreciation. Wow. That is amazing. And then you also run a community college. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I How did that come about? I, I, I work at Citrus College, so I'm a, a professor of history. I've been teaching history for about 30 years, 27 years here at the same college. And uh, I, uh, I teach U.S. history, the uh, World War II, the Vietnam War. So kind of U.S. is my, my field in history. And I, I also teach a paranormal history course uh, in the evenings for community education. Uh, so I, 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 I'm really living the dream. If you, you know, I think it was, uh, Ray Bradbury who said that he gets up every morning, looks in the mirror and sees a happy person, a person who is doing exactly what they've wanted to do. And, and that's, that's important. That that's, that's everything, me. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we have to back up a second. Mm -hmm. So I'm a history buff. I love history. So, mm -hmm. but you teach a paranormal history class. You have to tell me about this. Yeah. So, uh, when I, I had a vision in 2016, this is not unusual for me. I've had a paranormal life. A, a dear friend of mine, also also Norwegian American, passed away in September of 2016. A month after that, he came to me in a vision and told me it was time to tell my paranormal stories. Mm. And uh, I didn't I didn't have the courage to do it because I thought I would lose my job. I thought my colleagues would would you know would ridicule me. My students would laugh at me, and uh, you know I just thought it would it wouldn't go well. I, I kept it hidden from everybody, you know, because I'd been in the army, I'd worked in the defense industry. 
uh, and in academics. And those are not places where you can go around talking about how you talk to dead people and see right. ghosts and stuff. So <laughs> without and not be taken seriously. So anyway, <clears throat> Gene said, don't worry about it. So I started publishing those stories uh, and it turned out to be a trilogy of books, the Timeless series. But I decided to go a little bit further uh, and press my luck. And I asked the college if I could teach a paranormal history course. And to uh, to my surprise, more than anybody's surprise, they they said yes. Wow. So it's a it's a sign of the times that the uh, that there's so many people that want to know ab about these things that, that have had experiences and want to have some kind of context for it to understand you know, how this all fits together. And that's what we do in this course. And I haven't offered it during uh, the, the, uh, uh, the pandemic because it's, uh, we haven't been able to be in the classroom. And this is the kind of class you have to be together. I was just saying, how do you, what are you teaching exactly? Yeah, I, well, it's funny. I set it up with a series of lectures about, you know, what is telekinesis? What is, uh, uh, you know, telepathy? What are apparitions? What are angels and demons? How does all this, you know, fit in? What's the science behind it? If there is science behind it, and there is, uh, <clears throat> and so kind of set it up that way, along with my personal experiences. And then I was going to have, I had guest speakers, I had experiments set up. Uh, but then I found out the first time we met as a, as a class that what they really wanted was to be able to safely tell their own stories, the students wanted to share. So I quickly had to, you know, think on my feet and say, okay, we're going to have to dedicate a half an hour to 45 minutes, maybe up to an hour sometimes sharing each other's stories. And then we use that as a launching pad for our the lecture that evening. Maybe if a lot of people are talking about ghosts, we'll talk about apparitions that evening. And uh, <clears throat> so that's that's how I uh, arranged the class. So it was very, very popular, uh, all ages, young people, older people. <clears throat> they all had one thing in common. They didn't have a safe place to talk about these things. <clears throat> and the um, some of them couldn't even talk to their own spouses, their own uh, friends or coworkers, but they could talk about their paranormal experiences in in the classroom, and that's what that's what we provided them was an opportunity to do that and not ridicule them, and to try to make sense of the whole thing. So it it I, I really miss those students in that class, but hopefully uh, in 2022 we can bring it back. Wow, amazing. Wow, you are a man of many, many talents. <laughs> <laughs> a jack of all trades, but a master of none. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did, and, and lockdown theater, how did that come about? Was that <clears throat> sort, of, sort of just out of pure necessity? Yeah, is it, and I, is it community or professional? These are a combination of, of community-based okay. actors and really from all around the country, from New York to Washington State to California, all around the country. Uh, we, we were all able to connect and produce live theater online uh, with remote actors. Uh, and we were able to create a 3D world for them, kind of like a game world <clears throat> where they could act behind uh, in front of green screens. And uh, we had an amazing technician and, and designer that was able to make all that happen. And, uh, and we did it live, which is uh, really pretty cool. And, and I was able to produce some of my, my plays that way. And, and it, but it started just with, I wanted to do a reading because I knew actors, my, my friend Gene, who I told you I had a, a vision of, he was an actor 
And he told me when I connected with him one day, he said, you know, you should get these actors going because they're just sitting at home and actors need to be around other actors and do work. So I said, well, let's have a reading. So I posted on Facebook, let's have a reading. I knew a bunch of actors. Next thing I know, people are saying, let's go farther than that. I said, you know, you're right, we should. So then we came up with the idea of lockdown theater. Let's do live theater online. And uh, we, we did, I think, six productions and uh, in the space of the 18 months, which is you know pretty uh, amazing in and of itself. And yeah. some of them went really well and others had you know technical glitches and but the 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 purity of it was great. And they were some were amateur actors <laughs> and we had some Hollywood actors too that, that That's were funny. idle. Yeah, some people that actually are active in, in Hollywood here in California that were uh, you know that were working with us. So kind of a, a combination of, of people all of them dedicated to the, the craft and working together. Absolutely. Well, and did you charge? Did you guys charge for the, sh or what you just provided the, the yes. entertainment? It was, it, it was free because we were hoping that it would catch on and then uh, uh, things kind of opened up. So the actors, the Hollywood actors said, Oh, I'm going back. I got to go back and, to work. Yeah. yeah. And then the others got busy with their lives. So, uh, but we're hoping to, to, uh, to redo it. We have a, a play that I wrote called Ali's Bees, which is a children's play, actually. Mm. And uh, but it's really for all ages. And uh, we're we provided it to a couple of schools and we were hoping that around the country under lockdown that the schools would want live theater and that they you know, we weren't going to charge them. And the schools would uh, we would set up a time and schools would watch our our show together. We did it for a couple of schools and then things started to open up and and it went into summer and, you know, it just uh here we that, are. I think I think we might be heading back into some type of lockdown. So we'll see. I hope not. I know. But if mm. it does, I think that the time will be right again. But but, uh, you know, even so, it's um, that, you, you know, the, the plays that we did all have a special just like every book that I've written or every project, every play has a special uh, uh, purpose behind it. Uh, my, in fact, my first play, a regular theatrical play was called The Bronze Star. And it was about a friend of mine who had committed suicide. He was a Vietnam vet. And uh, I, I was devastated by this was back in 2002. And I had to find a, a way to tell the story. And it turned out to be theater to, as, as a theatrical play. So there's always a special reason. It, it's not like I sit down and, you know, I need to really write a play right now. It's it, it comes to me and the idea comes and says, you have to do this. You don't have a choice. Oh, right. Exactly. Do it. <laughs> yeah. So you're a channel. I mean, you're you're this conduit of, of information to flow through and creativity to flow through. And when those things come like that, you you uh, you are compelled to do mm -hmm. it and know yes. that it's supposed to be in the world. And then you you know, if you stay in that place, I think it, it, it takes a life of its own. And then mm -hmm. those who are supposed to be involved show up. But if, if we get in the way and start worrying about stuff, it interferes with just that the energy that flows with it. And it just yeah. to make it, it just comes to it just comes to life. And it's and and it's good. You know, the, the advice I have for writers and playwrights is is to be bold, you know, be very bold because people recognize that when you are out on the edge on that, you know, testing the envelope, that's when people really appreciate it. Because they know you're you've put everything into it, whether it's a performance or the writing or anything else, people recognize that and they appreciate that. So you're not just phoning it in, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, that is absolutely amazing, and I think you know there's something special about doing um, 
something that you have your heart and soul mm -hmm. into as opposed to doing it because someone's paying you to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it has a different dynamic when you have a vested interest in something because you yeah. pour you pour you pour your soul into it you do mm -hmm. your very very best because it's not it's not just about the money it's not it's not what motivates you to to take on a project and i mean everything that you've done so far has got passion written all over it um and i think that's what makes it so special to people who are involved and people who get to see your work um, because it's easy to appreciate um, when you get that sense of um, just pure love <laughs> that went th into the production. I, I, I think you're right. You know, it's, uh, it's something that um, when I go on these meditative walks, uh, one of the uh, entities that I uh, talk to always tells me to keep love in my heart and always operate from a position of love. And yeah. it's, it sounds very, you know, oh, you know, yeah, sure, whatever. No, and, it's true. But it's 100% it's, true. It's so difficult, though. It is so difficult because mm -hmm. you want to, you know, people are arguing and then you want to, oh, I can really, oh, no, I can't say that's not right. That's not going to help the situation. I got to keep love in my heart, operate from that, that center. And uh, it's really good guidance for all of us. And I think if more people followed that, we would have fewer, m many fewer problems in the world if people could Can have you imagine that. what our world would be like right now if we yeah. could operate from a place like that uh, yeah. in, in peace and in, in being that um, that center of peace in the storm mm -hmm. that is going on around us right now. Yeah, so it, it is, unfortunately, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People need to, it's, it seems like we need to constantly be reminding each other to be kind mm -hmm. you know we're all in this together we're all going through really really tough stuff a lot of people are struggling people are struggling <clears> to <throat> put food on the table people yes. are struggling to just do life you know life mm -hmm. is hard and if we can just learn to be kind to each other it would really make such a huge difference yeah no i i agree you know i i a, a children's entertainer in seattle that i grew up with he passed away a number of years ago uh, he's, he always said, be kind to yourself and be kind to others. That translates to good deeds. Mm, absolutely. Well, and you attract that when you put out that, whatever you want to call it, energy, vibe, thoughts, that's what's going to, that's what's going to show up in your life as well. You know, I, I think so. Yeah. So how did you transfer to uh, comics yeah. And and I have to say, you remind me of my co-writer and and Bergetti and I, our friend Thornton, because he's got all these pots boiling. He doesn't have one stove. He's got like two <laughs> stoves. And and you guys, we have must introduce you to each other. But um, <laughs> what it proves is that when you have passion and then you have drive and you have purpose, you can accomplish so many things. Almost anything. I mean, just you can keep going and going and going. Just like you have this ginormous resume. You you've kind of you've touched so many different areas of creativity. So has Thornton. Um, and and so for me and others, there, there's that inspiration that hey, yeah, you really can do more than just one thing. You know, if you want to, mm -hmm. you can kind of fulfill all the loves that you have. So so have you? Were you a comic book fan growing up as a child? Have you always been there? Did you always dream about doing it? Or was this just like something that came to you, like some of these other things that have come to you and said, okay, it's time to do this now? <clears throat> it's it's funny, but all these things that I've done, um, the thing I'm most proud of is publishing that first comic book. It was a childhood dream. 
Uh, and it's really uh, an homage to comic books because uh, I struggled to learn how to read. And uh, mm -hmm. my mother allowed me to buy comic books and read them. And I was then able to learn how to read. And I wouldn't be a writer today if it wasn't for comic books. And I've always let, and I would illustrate my, my own. And I, I, you know, this latest comic book series, the snark series started as a, a, uh, um, a comic strip in a college newspaper in Butte, Montana. I was in engineering wow. school at Montana tech in 1982. And I published six of these, uh, you know, during the six months I was there until I dropped out. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I dedicated all my time to the comic strip instead of to the, my engineering work. So that oh, was a, a lesson learned there. Yeah, so, <laughs> wasted money, right? <laughs> but I, but it, as it turned out, and then it got put on the shelf, life happened. And then 37 years later, I revived it and, uh, uh. and turned it into an actual comic book. So that was, to me, that's one of my proudest accomplishments. And, and I, I, I wanted to tell this story of this uh, this alien hybrid character uh, that I originated in 1982, but I wanted to make it all ages. So it's uh, it's uh, children will like it, adults will like it. Um, that's that's what I wanted to do with it, and I wanted it to combine history and humor and science fiction and social issues, but not in a pedantic way, you know, not a, like a preachy way, but just kind of introduce things through the eyes of an innocent, this alien mm. hybrid who comes to our country and or comes to our world and is observing and making, you know, trying to help. And uh, as it says, the, the kind of the, the, uh, the uh, slug line, if you will, for the comic is uh, uh, half alien, half human, all heart. That's, mm. that's, that's the, the, the character. And uh, so it's turned into a, a second comic book and now a spinoff comic uh, with a female lead character uh, that we're working on. I'm working on with a young artist uh, from Poland, very talented. And the, the original Snark comic, the first two was were illustrated by Gary Dumb, who's been around. He's in his 70s and he's been uh, uh, illustrating comics since the 1970s. So he started kind of as an underground comic artist and then uh, has done mainstream too, stuff as well. So uh, I, I've, I've always loved comic books and it's, uh, it, you know, and, it, and it's always uh, whatever I'm compelled to do, you know, and I feel like telling stories in a fictionalized way in comic books is, you know, instead of writing novels, although I have written a, a children's novel or a, for middle grade readers, um, I, uh, I, I love the, the freedom that I have with, with these comic books. And, but there's a lot of truth behind it too, history and, and humor. Humor is extremely important. Uh, I, even the, the darkest topic plays that I've written uh, have, have humor in, in them. I think it's really important. It's a way to break things up too. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I have found myself laughing at awkward moments. Yes. Because it was a spontaneous reaction, but I also didn't, I didn't realize I didn't know what else to do. And so no. laughter is what came from it. And so for some people that makes them think oh, what's wrong with you. And it's like, okay, this is a spontaneous reaction. Cause I'm not even sure, you know, what to do with this is a lot of information coming in a lot to process mm -hmm. and it's overwhelming. So I'm just going to laugh about it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it provides a catharsis for it for you at certain points. You know, you can kind of let some, you know, you can laugh and cry or maybe both, you know, at a certain point. And it's very important with, with villains in stories to have that kind of human side to them because you don't want them to be just a cardboard cutout. So, uh, you know, villains can be funny, too, uh, but often in a dark way. But still, you know, you have to laugh. Oh, my gosh, this guy's, you know, like Loki. 
yeah, pretty sharp, <laughs> sharp witted, you know, kind of thing. So, but at the same time, they are villains. So, and I, and, and the thing, the thing about villains is they really don't think they're villains, which is always interesting to me. Mm. And I, I talk about that in my history class. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the most vile villains in history. Do you really think they thought they were bad people? They probably Obviously thought they not. were, they probably thought they were good people doing the right thing. And, mm. uh, you know, so that self-delusion can provide a vehicle for some type of humor, even in the darkest situation. Wow. I think, you know, we all need a bit of humor um, mm -hmm. in our lives. What especially would life with be this... like without humor, especially especially now? Yeah, we've got this um, another wave coming on and mass mandates are coming yep. back into play. It's schools and work and Florida's the entire state's gone back to mass mm -hmm. mandate. Bridgetti, you guys have had your share of mm -hmm. uh, a second or third wave before we did, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. We've just we've just riding the wave of the third one now. Mm. And, you know, the fourth one hasn't hit us yet. So, yeah. Oh, it's Ugh. yeah, it's a, and, and, you know, just below the surface of humor is is tragedy. So mm -hmm. it's it just it's like a veneer over it. And it's our coping mechanism. It's a way to cope. When I was in the military, we had very dark humor uh, as part of our how our mechanism, mm -hmm. you know, for survival. That's how you you do it. And uh, but, you know, it's it's it is part of life. So I always in include that and try to make something uplifting, like my first play that I wrote, Bronze Star, uh, about a suicide of a, of a Vietnam vet. You know, how do you make that uplifting? <laughs> you know, mm. but we figured out a way to do it. And and with theater, it's not just you. It's uh, the writer. It's uh, you're working with a team of people, the director, the lighting people, the sound people, the actors, of course. And uh, you learn from all of them and they all contribute and you create this this in incredible thing that has taken on a life that you never even imagined. And, and that's why I love doing play. I love writing comic books and, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, other books, but, uh, it, this, um, theater is really special in that, in that regard. It's so communal. Yes, absolutely. Well, we are so about out of time, aren't we? <laughs> I, w I wanted to quickly ask you, how did you come up with the name snark? Like, what was behind <laughs> you deciding on the name Snark? I just, you know, I I thought of the character when I was working in a in a prison guard tower in West Germany when I was in the army, and uh, and it didn't come to fruition until I got out of the army the first time and went to engineering school, and I think it just sounded funny to me. The name just sounded funny, you know, kind of like I was thinking of a of a of a you know a, a, like a, a narc, you know, <laughs> which in you know. <laughs> So and I thought, well, okay. how could I make it funny? So snark, and then then you got the term, you know, snarky. People who are snarky are kind right. of. You know. So I thought, okay, that would be fun, and it's it's a memorable name. I did spell it with a K when I first uh, did the comic strip, and then I changed it to a C uh, oh. when I came out with the the comic book itself. So it, that's the evolution of the name. It's uh, it just popped into my head as kind of funny. That's really how it started. <laughs> Wonderful. That's a nice play on the on the word, you know. I always like to ask people, like, you know, how did you come up with a name for your business mm -hmm. or a name for your mm -hmm. book? Because it's all, the story behind it is always interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's seldom just a word. There's always a story behind it. Bruce, that was amazing. Um, and what's what's next for you? May I ask that? Who knows? You know, really, a real <laughs> answer. That's that's the truthful answer. I I do have this. You know, this spin-off comic, Dr. Jekyll, Alien Hunter, that'll be coming out next year. Uh, 
Uh, and then Snark 3 will come out probably the year after that. I'm also working on that. Uh, in terms of paranormal books, I, it, it's ongoing. I mean, I still take spirit walks two or three times a week and mm, communicate nice. with spirits. So I'm, I, I uh, you know, I write down everything that I uh, experience. I mm-hmm. document it and uh, in a journal, the spirit journal, as I call it. So who knows what, what will be next? Uh, I really don't know. I, I, it's, I it's, hard, gonna, it's, it's hard to say. I was going to ask, do you think that the comics will turn into uh, either TV movies and Netflix or, uh, you know, something like that or film? Well, I've been talking to the actors about doing a uh, snark animated cartoon. Okay. So we do nice. have some, some movement there and, and we'll, we'll see. But like I said, a lot of the actors are back working. And mm-hmm. when I, you know, call them, I'm not offering money. So it's, it's for the love of the craft and people have to make a living. So I understand that. Well, if you need a 17 year old girl, my daughter will do it. She, you don't even have to pay her. She just loves theater <laughs> that much. So. Oh, that's, that's good. Keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Mind. Yes. Yeah. So I uh, definitely, but thank you so much for joining us today. And, and just, thank we you covered, you just, you have so much that you are doing and so many things you've covered so many different genres actually of creativity. And so, you know, it's really fascinating to be able to um, share that with others and to, um, you know, introduce what you do to maybe people who have not seen it yet. Then you'll have to keep us up on, you know, if snark gets turned into uh, an animation, we definitely want to know about it and have you back on and, you know, maybe some more paranormal stories because those are fascinating. So, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it very much. Well, do let us know what's next with, with Snark. Um, keep us updated. And we definitely would love to invite you back on the show when when the next um, book in the series Snark, Snark, it'll be called Snark 3, right? Yes. And then uh, Dr. Jekyll, Alien Hunter is the spinoff. That'll come before Snark 3. So okay. I got I got the artists lined up. They have to know way in advance what, you know, how much work they have to do and spread it out. You know? Right. So Absolutely. Takes it. I mean, the easy part is writing it and creating, you know, the hard part yes. is the actual il- illustration per, yes. you know, I, I mean, I provide mock-ups and I, I'm an artist, so I do some mock-up illustrations, but nowhere near the level that's required for a professional, you know, published comic book. So yeah. I concede uh, to the professionals. <laughs> and and you've got to have a, a very intimate relationship with your illustrator, especially in a comic, yes. you know, because you trying to get them to grasp what's what's essentially in your head and your mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and you're, I you're think right. that's that's very, very that's not easy to get someone else to sort of get into your head. And, and to bring it to life, see what you envision, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah, that, yeah, you're you're right. It's a it's a relationship. It's a very close relationship, and uh, they take they take on the responsibility for the character, uh, you know, kind of like an actor does with the 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 writing. You know, I write the play. The actor then fills it out, you know, on stage. So an illustrator right. does a very similar type of thing and they add their own they even add suggestions for dialogue well, wouldn't think because they start to think like the character well, don't you think the character would say this oh yeah you're right the character would say that yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah that is it is amazing and it is a very um it is an intimate relationship with mm-hmm. uh uh because you're dealing with something so close to your heart and something you created so bruce Thank you so much. This has been amazing. And we definitely would love to have you back on the show sometime. Thank you oh, for thank joining you. us today. This was thank you fantastic. for inviting me. I appreciate it's, it. It's a big pleasure. To our audience who joined us today on Amazon Live, on Facebook, 
on Twitter, on YouTube, and on LinkedIn. It was awesome to have you join us. Thanks very much, everyone. Stay safe and take care. We'll see you back next time. Thank <laughs> you.